God who was. We worship the God who is. We worship the God who evermore will be. He opened the prison doors. He parted the raging sea. My God, He holds the victory. There's joy in the house of the Lord. There's joy in the house of the Lord today. We shout out your praise. There's joy in the house of the Lord. Our God is surely in this place. We won't be quiet. We shout out your praise. We sing to the God who we sing to the God who saves. We sing to the God who always makes a way. Cause he hung up on that cross. Then he rose up from that grave. My God still rolling stones away. There's joy in the house of the Lord. There's joy in the house of the Lord today. We won't be crying. We shout out your praise. There's joy in the house of the Lord. Our God is surely in this place. And we won't be quiet. We shout out your praise. We were the beggars, and now we're royalty. We were the prisoners, and now we're running free. Redeemed by His grace, let the house of the Lord sing praise. We were the beggars, and now we're royalty. We were the prisoners, and now we're running free. We are forgiven, accepted, redeemed by His grace. Let the house of the Lord sing praise. There's joy in the house of the Lord. There's joy in the house of the Lord today. And we won't be quiet. We shout out your praise. There's joy in the house of the Lord. Our God is surely in this place. We won't be quiet. We shout out your praise. There's joy in the house of the Lord. There's joy in the house of the Lord today. We won't be quiet. We shout out your praise. There's joy in the house of the Lord. Our God is surely in this place. We won't be quiet. We shout out your Good morning, everyone. It's great to have you here this morning. We are just, I'm going to say just a quick prayer, and we are going to continue this time of worship, and I just invite you to stand or sit as you please. Um, just, we want you to worship comfortably this morning.
So God, we just thank you for all that you do and all that you are, Lord. We pray that you would just move in this place in a very special way, God. I know we're all coming from different places this week. But God, open our hearts, open our minds so that we may be receptive to what you have for us today. In your name we pray, amen.
continue in a spirit of worship this morning and make some time to pray if you feel led to do so. The next song we're going to sing is called God, You're So Good. And you know this song, right? We, we used to sing God is so good and we decided we should declare it, we should sing it to God. So when we sing the chorus of this song today, we're going to sing God, You're So Good and we know that He's good. But sometimes it doesn't feel like it, does it? You know what I'm talking about? I mean, maybe you live in a different world than I do, but sometimes it doesn't feel like that. As Christians, I, I don't think we give ourselves enough permission to say, God, I don't feel like things are very good right now. Whether it be in the culture that we live in, it, it, the global issues that we're dealing with, maybe right there inside your living room. Yesterday, folks, I was just struggling to remember that God was good. I was working in the kitchen and I found myself just sitting there on the floor at a standstill. I know all the things to say. I know all the things to preach. I'm your pastor, so I'm supposed to know all the things that the Bible says about God and his promises and the joy of the Lord. And I just didn't feel it. I just didn't feel it. And 
you don't know this, sometimes I struggle living out or the very sermons that I preach to you. And I thought, I began to think, God, what do you, what do you want? I, I don't like the way that I feel right now. I want to give you praise. I want to give you glory. But I, I just don't feel it in my spirit right now. I thought about what we talked about last week. Remember, we, we talked about the fact that God does not call us to comfort. God calls us to combat. And that we fight a little bit, a, a little different way than the world does. Our blood, sweat, and tears isn't found in a boxing ring or ultimate fighting. They're found on the altar before God. And so God said, well, you need to worship. You just preached it. You just told 200 people last Sunday that they need to worship, that that's how they're going to fight. That's how they're going to win their battles. And I said, I don't want to worship. You know what I'm talking about, right? We're just being real this morning. I don't want to worship. I want to sit here and I want to sulk and I want to just sit in my time of feeling struggling and I want someone to understand all the things in my life that are hard and I want, I just, I don't want to be happy right now. God said, no, I think you need to worship. So I was there working in the kitchen and I flipped on my Bluetooth speaker and I hit play on my Spotify playlist and this is the song that came on, not this song but there's a song called Faithful Now. And there's, there's a, a section in that song that says, I will speak to my fear. I will preach to my doubt. You were faithful then, and you'll be faithful now. I will speak to my fear. I will preach to my doubt. You were faithful then, and you'll be faithful now. You have fears this morning. Fears that things won't turn around. You have doubts that he's going to do it again like he did before. Did you know that you are a living example of a miracle if you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ? You're not who you were. You're not who you were. He saved you from the pits of hell. He's promised you eternity with him. You have a new life. You're not who you were. The Bible says that all things have become new in Christ and the old has passed away. So this morning... If that's what you need to do, maybe you need to come and pray. Maybe you need to speak to your fears. Maybe you need to preach to your doubt. And I don't know what it is that you need to preach to your doubt, but it could be something like, he's been faithful then and he's going to be faithful now. You could say, God, I know you're going to do it again. I've seen you work and I know you want to do it in my life. I know you want to do it in the lives of others. Lord, I pray that you would, that you would stir up within me a spirit of worship. God, that would proclaim that you are above all, that you are sovereign above all things and that nothing, no weapon formed against me will prosper. And that everything that rises up against me in condemnation, you're going to take care of. You're going to take care of. But church, I can't tell you how important I believe it is this morning as we prepare our hearts to receive the word of God. That if we would just stand and, and worship or, or kneel and pray and say, God, you're so good. In spite of all the circumstances, God, you're so good. Allison's good, and Wesley's good, and Luke's good, and Ben's good, and my house is good, and my food is good, and my bed is good, and my health is good, and everything, and even in the shortcomings, God's still good. Father, we pray that as we continue in a time of worship this morning, Lord, that you would help that individual who is struggling to worship you with all their heart and all their soul and all their mind this morning, God. God, we would rebuke the spirit, God, 
of bitterness, the spirit, God, of, of self-pity, God, the spirit of depression and anxiety that would say, I don't want to be happy. God, who doesn't want to be happy? Lord, the devil is a liar this morning, and we know it. And God, so we speak truth over your people today. We proclaim that you are good because of everything and in spite of everything. We know that you are good. Help us to proclaim that and mean it from the depths of our heart this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So good, you're. 
suffering Lord I will remember what Calvary has bought for me both now and forever God you're so Welcome to Capital City Church. We are so glad you are joining us for service today. Please share your updates, praises, and prayer requests on the connection card and drop it in the offering when it comes around later this morning. First time visitors, please let us get to know you through the connection card. And at the end of service, you can take it to the visitor welcome desk in the lobby to receive a small gift. There is an informational meeting today, right after service for the upcoming Golden Saints trip to the Ark Encounter on Friday, October 7th. If you're interested in going on the trip, 
be sure to stick around for the meeting. Saturday, September 10th from 10 a.m. to 3 p.m. will be our annual car show, fish fry, and family day. Join us here at church for fun with the whole family as we have food, the car show, bounce houses, and more. Thank you for supporting the ministries of Cap City Church. You can give online or by check or cash. See the back of your bulletin for more details. Please welcome Pastor Jonathan with today's message. We are filled with his power. We're filled with his power. I'm not sure that we understand that this morning as we should. In Acts chapter 1 verse 8, Jesus said, You will receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you so that you might be my witnesses. And then he mentions every area of the world or every region of the world, if you will. There's a reason in this life that someone gives you power. There's a reason someone gives you power. If you work in a job, there's different levels of authority, and someone might give you the authority to make a decision. It might be to fire someone. It might be to hire someone. It might be to make a decision about the direction of the organization. But power is given to you, and authority is given to you based on the fact that something might be challenging. Something might be challenging. We want the power, but we don't want to have to deal with the things that we need the power for. Does that make sense this morning? We just sang about God being so good, and you heard my testimony of, of how I struggled, and we think about how we fight our battles, and, and what we talked about with Gideon last week as we started a new series called Hard Love, and we talked about the fact that in this relationship, this love relationship that we have with our Father, that sometimes the love feels hard. It feels challenging, but he's given us a power to overcome those challenging places, Church, please don't face the problems of this life without the power that you have from the Holy Spirit to overcome those ideas. There is, we said just a minute ago that there's no weapon that's formed against you that has the ability to prosper as long as you are utilizing the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. If you've given your life to Jesus, you've had an encounter, you're, you have have the Holy Spirit that is living in you, but when you've become filled with the Holy Spirit, you receive this power. And you need to do something with it. You need to do something with it. It's not so that we can sing louder or, 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 or pray longer necessarily. We're given that power because we're going to have challenges. Jesus was talking about giving them authority to do what he would say in the gospel message, greater things than he did. We talk about quenching the Holy Spirit, and when we talk about quenching the Holy Spirit, what we're really doing is limiting his power. Not that we could limit God, but we limit the power's work in our life. We talked about what it would look like if, in, Gideon, in the story of Gideon last week if we were truly just vessels willing to be broken so that the fire of the Holy Spirit could be shown in our life. This week we're going to look at the story of Abraham. We're going to look at the story of Abraham and talk about the fact that faithfulness is not just showing up, Faithfulness requires stepping up. Faith is not just showing up. Faith requires stepping up. So it's going to be about faith. It's going to be about trying to encourage you that as you leave this place today, that you don't just receive some message that encourages, to get you, encourages you to get you through Tuesday or Wednesday or Thursday, and then you just tough it out till next Sunday. You need to begin to ask God right now, Lord, where do you want me to step up? Because wherever you are, he wants you to take another step. 
Unless any of you are over 100, you're not going to be able to get out of this when you hear the story about Abraham today. But there's something about doing something for the first time that makes it unique from any other time that we will do it in the future, isn't it? We have three boys under the age of 12, and so we've spent most, uh, at least the last decade, longer than that, witnessing first in their life. We've watched them take first steps. We've watched them learn to ride bikes. We've watched them learn to wreck bikes. We've, we've watched uh, them learn how to jump into a pool or still be afraid to do so. When Luke, our 10-year-old middle son, he started losing his teeth, he lost three teeth, one right after another. And the first tooth was quite the conversation. Is it going to hurt? How much is it going to bleed? The whole reality or lack thereof of the tooth fairy and of course our eldest Wesley's disdain with the fact that he hadn't lost any teeth at the time but when Luke's third tooth became loose we were at church and he came into my office to let me know he was aware of its impending exit from his mouth I checked it out for him I said it's not quite ready yet bud I was also like getting ready to come up here and do this and it was like you know, it, it'll hang on. If it doesn't hang on, oh well. And if it does hang on, we'll take care of it after church. But he, so he exited my office, and about 10 minutes later, he returned to my office with a tooth in hand. And in our house, we've decided to play the role of the tooth fairy. Wesley, don't tell anybody. So Luke's fear of this event was now overtaken, not just by his hope of a monetary reward for this expendable body part, but considering he pulled it himself, he told me that I should let the Tooth Fairy know that that type of bravery probably deserved a Nintendo DS game. <laughs> so whether this morning uh, you're interest, you were interested in my story about what I can only hope is a dental student in training, I do share this story to open our conversation on faith today. The first jump in the pool takes faith that dad will catch you. Learning to ride the bike means believing that mom won't let go of the seat. The first shot in the doctor's office means believing that the needle won't hurt that bad and that the lollipop afterwards will act as a, an appropriate pain reliever. What changes after that first experience? What turns jumping into the pool from a death-defying experience to one of our favorite summertime activities? My, my older brother's here. I, I wouldn't do it the first week he's here. It's been his first few weeks. He's been here for a few weeks hanging out with us. Uh, his name's Troy, sitting in second row. He's nervous right now, wondering what I'm going to do next, and not much, Troy. But I'm so glad that when Troy was a child, someone taught him how to jump into a pool. Because you have never seen a 50-year-old man, I mean, perform more death-defying jumps into a pool than he does now. It's awesome. He is the life of the party when he gets into the pool. And it's, it's such a wonderful thing. My, my father, who's retired from being a pastor, he's in his 60s now. To watch him squirt the, the grandkids, especially my kids. You know, some of you raise kids and you love them, but every once in a while... You just wouldn't mind if they got what was coming to them. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and it just doesn't bother you that much when your parents squirt your kids in the face with a squirt gun. And they're screaming and they're upset. And you're just kind of standing on the side grinning going, eh, that's kind of what you get, isn't it? This is what you do to your little brothers all day. 
But think of all the things in this life that we're so thankful for, that we're so happy. We have so much fun with, from foods that we taste to adventures that we, that we take on, to, to sports that we try, to jobs that we might, that we, that we never knew. Not did we just not know how much fun it was going to be, we were terrified of it. The thing that you love doing more than anything in this life, fill in the blank. There was a time when you weren't sure you wanted to do it or even try it. Isn't that wild? Isn't that wild? I can remember when I preached my first sermon. I was 15 years old. I had no call to preach on my life that I knew of yet. I was at Greenlawn Community Church, a church that my dad started the year after I was born. I was wearing the dorkiest of button-up vests. I remember it vividly. And I was terrified. But I'm glad I preached that first message. I wouldn't be here today. I don't think I would be. I preached about Daniel and how he was willing to stand up in the face of adversity. There's an experience that informs our decision-making. Fear is replaced by faith because our experience has shown us that in reality, there's nothing to fear. I could almost wrap the message right here by just saying, when has God caused fear? When has he caused things to go wrong in your life? Yet why do we still struggle even though we've experienced him time and time and time again? You know, it's interesting that Jesus teaches us to have childlike faith. Childlike faith. The more I watch my kids, the more I try to figure out what that looks like. I watch the death-defying stunts, right? So I guess maybe taking risk is there. I see a lack of anxiety. They don't care about how much money we have in our bank account. They really don't care, do they? As long as we keep putting food on the table, giving them the fun stuff to play with, make sure they have clothes that are reasonably cool. Like, there, there's something about a dependency in a child that Jesus wanted us to understand. But let me tell you a question I posed to myself, really to God, as I was thinking about this in preparation for this message. It's very interesting that Jesus teaches us to have childlike faith. The fact that he teaches us this must mean that adult faith is different than childlike faith. This is going to, just like, I hope you wore steel toes this morning. He was talking to adults. He was talking to adults. And because he's better than I am as a teacher, a storyteller, and everything else in, in the universe, he didn't say your adult life, your adult like faith stinks. He just says, don't have the faith you have right now. Look at a child. He looked at adults and said, your faith isn't working. This is what it needs to look like. And so I really thought this tension was one worth wrestling with this morning. I promise I'll get to Abraham in a second. It seems as though Jesus understood that our faith in him diminishes as we grow older. We're, process this with me, okay? Process this with me this morning. Jesus, as, we, as he spoke to adults, said, have a childlike faith. He said that to a group understanding that their faith in him was, had diminished as they grew older. And that doesn't seem very fair to me. Does that mean we're wrong and younger people are right? None of us want to think that way, that's for sure. Did he design us, did he design us this way? So as, as I kept working through the matter, I realized that our faith 
doesn't diminish because we age. Thankfully, that would be pretty evil of him to do that because we all have to age. It's the one thing we, right, it's one of those things we can't stop. Every day, you know, somebody told me the other day, I was the perfect age to pastor this church. And I said, well, thank you very much. I have nothing to do with that. I guess that means five years from now, I won't be perfect age anymore. So I don't know what I'm going to do. I'll have to, you know, but anyhow, uh, so I, I kept thinking about it. it. Just because we get older, does that mean our faith diminishes? He wouldn't design that that way. That wouldn't be fair. It wouldn't line up with his character, his nature. But our faith can potentially diminish as we leave childhood because we move through stages of dependency that used to be necessary for our survival, our understanding of life, and maybe even our happiness. Our imagination so important for a Christian to have a holy imagination, church. I could talk forever about this. Our imagination is replaced by informed decision-making, and our view of God shrinks when we are not intentional about nurturing our relationship with him. When we were young, we believed that he hung the moon and the stars in the sky, and yet as we age, we rarely make moves in life unless we can somehow, at least somewhat, Predict or measure the outcome ahead of time. Ben is seven years old, and he plays with toys. If you're a parent today, you understand why that's so awesome. Like, big deal, kid plays with toys. No, he still plays with toys. Like, he doesn't have to have a video game. Like, he doesn't have to have someone else in the room. He plays with toys. Do you ever, like, buy stuff for your kids and go, I don't even want to buy this. They're not going to appreciate Ben appreciates every single toy. I really think he has names for all of them. I think he treats them the way I do you as congregates. Like, these are my people. Like, he calls them his guys. He does. And Allison can tell you, well, what could be like, Ben, what are you playing? And they're like, hi, Mom, hi, Dad. And then he'll just kind of look at you. He'll be like, what's up, buddy? He goes, I just need some privacy. I'm imagining right now. I'm imagining right now. That's something that God's put in within us, a holy imagination that, to believe that he can create out of nothing, right? That's what he did. From the very beginning, he wanted us to understand that concept because that's how he created all of us. Out of nothing, he created us. And so this holy imagination needs to, to stay present and real in our life. If we want to see God do great things, the reason you can't get behind a vision or a dream is because you quit having visions. You quit believing that dreams could come true, and you're just stuck in what you're calling reality. But let me give you a proper definition of reality this morning. Reality is truth as it's perceived or distributed by God. Reality is not what the world, people will tell you, you need to get a grip or you need to get a grasp on reality. Church, as, as, a, as a Christian, you need to understand today that a lot of times people are going to think you're being unrealistic, not being in touch with reality because the world has created, it was just a fun word in the 1980s, right? Virtual reality. That's where the world wants you to live today, in virtual reality. That your popularity is based on a number of clicks clicks and likes and favorites or views. My kids understand what it means to have a view online, and they've already learned to value that. One of them said the other day, we went to the Grove City game. This is fantastic. 
their cousin was making YouTube shorts. I don't know if you know what a YouTube short is. I don't. I understand it's probably a shorter version of a YouTube video. Their cousin made a YouTube short while we were watching the Grove City Marching Band. Of the band. And their cousin replied, I can't believe this. Grove City is one of the top bands in the nation and we only have seven views so far. Virtual reality. Here's what's even scarier. In this virtual reality, there's no place for God. As we continue to put our faith and our hope in Jesus Christ and do the things that he's called us to do in the kingdom, that will be considered foolishness. Good will be called evil. Evil will be called good. And soon we'll find ourselves in a place where we won't know which way is up if we're not already there. So we'll say some challenging things in regards to Abraham and Isaac. And if you know this story, we'll just go ahead and establish nobody's, God is not asking anyone to kill their children, right? Just somebody say amen. Like, just so that as I get to preaching, nobody takes anything out of context. But there is a lesson to be learned from this story that transcends any area of our life that we might be struggling to put on the altar today. That will be your Isaac as we walk through our story. So faith is not just showing up. Faith requires stepping up. So I'm not diminishing showing up faithfully. I think it's a big deal. More and more people aren't showing up to church. It's a big deal that you show up to church every week. I'm not diminishing faithfully being on time. You should be on time. You should be punctual. It's important. It shows you have good character. I'm not diminishing faithfully giving. Your faithful giving over time makes a big difference in the kingdom of God. I'm not diminishing doing what you say you will do. So not lying. Did you know that? Did you know a lot of people lie? I don't, maybe you're not around any liars. But do you know what lying is? Saying I'm going to do something and then not doing it. You don't, you don't, no, 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 no. Let me just, can I for a minute, Ed? Don't say you're going to be somewhere, do something or be, or, and not do it. That's a lie. It's a lie. You don't get to say, oh, I forgot. I, I, I didn't mean to, or I, I just wasn't thinking like, don't lie. Don't lie. Be faithful. Be faithful in all things. If you say you're going to do something, do it. Think about Abraham. He could have just claimed his church attendance, his goodwill, or his previous, previous obedience to God as good enough. Let me just list a few things that Abraham could have hung his hat on, in case you were counting your good works. He demonstrated his faith to God in the following ways. He was willing to leave his homeland and go to a strange land. He obeyed God's call for personal relationship and left worshiping many gods to worship one true living God. Abraham directed a peaceful separation from Lot and settled in Canaan after letting Lot take the more desirable land. At God's command, Abraham circumcised every male as adults in his family. That's enough, isn't it, men? Every adult male in his family circumcised for God. That should have been enough. Abraham waited until he was 100 years old to receive the promise of his son Isaac. And that's where we pick up in Genesis 22. I'm going to read this text and then we're just going to talk about it for just a, a quick few minutes and try to, try to land the plane. God tested Abraham. Genesis 22 verse 1. 
and said, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, take now your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I will tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and Isaac, his son. And he split the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place which God told him. On the third day, Abraham raised his eyes and saw the place from a distance. Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey, and I and the lad will go over there, and we will worship and return to you. Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son, and took it in his hand, the fire and the knife. So the two of them walked on together. Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, my father, and he said, here I am, my son. And he said, Behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. So the two of them walked on together. Then they came to the place of which God had told, told him, and Abraham built the altar there and arranged the wood. And he bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to kill his son. Abraham loaded a pistol and pointed at the temple of his, his son's forehead. Is that too graphic for some of us this morning? We'd call child services, right? We'd lock up the father. Pointed a gun at his son's head. But the angel of the Lord called to him. And said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, do not stretch out your hand against that lad and do nothing to him. For I now know that you fear God since you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. Then Abraham raised his eyes and looked and behold, behind him a ram caught in the thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering in the place of his son. Abraham called the name of that place the Lord will provide or Jehovah Jireh. As it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord it will be provided. Then the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son, indeed I will greatly bless you. And I will greatly multiply your seed as the stars of the heaven and as the sand which is on the seashore. And you, your seed shall possess the gates of their enemies. In your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. God wants to know that you're willing to sacrifice the things that we love the most. And if I may, let me contextualize this this morning. Most of us aren't even close to having talk, to talk about our children. Most of us still have money we won't sacrifice to God. Most of us still have hobbies we won't sacrifice to God. Most of us have time we still won't sacrifice to God. Most of us still have dreams and passions we won't sacrifice to God. I don't, know, I don't know that anyone else will show enough faith to get to the level of Abraham where God would ask for his son, and he won't do it anyway because Jesus paid the ultimate price for us. What is your Isaac this morning? What's the thing that you're most passionate about? What do you love most about this church? What do you love most about your home? What do you love most about your family? What do you love most about your life? What do you love most about your career? Is it on the altar before God? Is it on the altar before God? The words of an old hymn pose the question, is your all on the altar of sacrifice laid? Your heart does the spirit control. When the scriptures talk about our heart, it refers to our preferences. 
It refers to our passions, what we are proud of, and how we spend our time and our money. Does the Holy Spirit have full reign in every single one of those areas? God does something awesome when we give those things to him. A lot of time he gives them back to us 30, 60, or 100 times greater than they could have ever been in our own control. Abraham's about to die. I mean, I, I'm not there. I, don't, I mean, I hope I'm not. If, if God will be gracious to me. But perhaps some of us, as we get closer to those numbers that they talk about where we're fortunate to still be, you know, some of you, oh, you know, the Bible says 70 years and a good life would be 80. And you, oh man, I'm 83. I'm living on borrowed time. I'll bet that there could be a great temptation to say I've done what I'm going to do. But folks, just as I was reading this text out loud to you this morning, God revealed something else to me. Did Abraham not use language that they were going to return back down the mountain? He said we, didn't he? So he knew Isaac was going to come with him. I don't know that we can ever begin to understand or fathom the type of faith that Abraham did. I don't know. I just He's one of my heroes. I look at the Bible. I got a few of them. He's one of them. Have you ever thought about how Isaac felt that day? Wow. He knew how sacrifices worked. Do you know why he knew that? When we talk about Abraham and it being a big deal that he turned from the worship of many gods or polytheism to one god, monotheism, the, just Jehovah Jireh, these other religions, it was very common for them to sacrifice their children. In fact, Isaac had probably seen a child sacrificed before. Hopefully it was the next town over, or maybe his parents turned off the TV then, right? But it was a common thing in those days for children to be sacrificed. That's why Abraham coming apart from them and being separate was such a big deal, because God hates child sacrifice, doesn't he? But he blessed the sacrifice. He blessed the literal sacrifice. Isaac. Isaac would go, go on to be the father of many nations just as Abraham was. Have you ever thought this morning about the fact that really Abraham only can brag one more descendant than Isaac can? Isaac's right there with him. He was in the partnership. He was in this blessing upon blessing upon blessing of every generation. And I hope that as you age, it's taking place in me right now in my very, very late 30s. More and more and more I begin to think about What's going to happen after I leave this world? It's going to go on. Surprise, if anybody was wondering if the world was going to end when you quit doing everything. So what are you doing to contribute to the kingdom for the days ahead, for the future? Too often... We want to point out how much we've done or how much we've already given. Or perhaps our degrees of qualification... Jesus set the example on the cross. He willingly laid down his life. In Philippians chapter 2, the Bible tells us, Paul writes, that he did not regard equality with God. I don't know about you. I haven't figured out a way to be qualified to be considered equal with God yet. He did not regard equality with God as something to be grasped, to be leveraged, or how about this word, exploited. Using my knowledge, my understanding, my money, my wisdom, my position to exploit someone else. 
if King Jesus didn't see fit to leverage or exploit his position, what place do we have? What if laying down the thing that you're passionate about is all that God is waiting before he decides to bless it? Here's what I think happens. I I don't know about you. You're all probably better people than me. I, I just have these wrestling matches in my mind with God sometimes. God, I don't want to give it up. Do you ever just say, like, I just feel like some of you, you would just, I, I really hope that just, I want you to understand that as your pastor, there's times that I, re, I want to reveal who I am to you because I want you to feel more okay with the fact that you feel that way sometimes. Lord, I don't want to give it up. You ever said that? It's not, it's not anything bad. You know what I'm talking about? It's not, it's not necessarily like something that people would try to kick you out of the church for or yell at you about. Like, God just says, I want you to give me this. And you go, I don't want to. Here's what's funny. We misunderstand God so much. I'm sure we do. We're going to spend the rest of our lives trying to get to know him better, and I can't wait till we get to see him, right, face to face, and we get to know him fully. Do you realize that a lot of times he's just asking you to put it on the altar so he can bless it? He might not be saying that you're never going to have it again. He might not be saying that it's going to be gone from your life forever, but if it is, it's supposed to be. But what he likes to do a lot of times is he likes to take that thing that you've placed before him and say, if you'll really give this to me, and I know that you mean it, and with all your heart you're surrendering it, I'm going to give it back to you, but I'm going to do it with my stamp of approval on it. I'm going to show you how to use it for my glory. What God can do with the giftings that he's given to you far exceed what you think you can do with your giftings. Whether we like to admit it or not, and we probably won't, when we're young, we struggle to give up money and provisions. We do. The younger generation today struggles to give up money and provisions. And as we get older, we struggle to give up position and authority. You know why that is? Young young people, older people have more money than you. They're living a better... In a lot of cases, the people that you see... Everybody goes out when they're 50 or 60 and buys the car they wish they had when they were 20. Uh, just, you'll have to forgive me. F- sorry, folks, if that was you. You went out and you bought the car you wanted your 20. <laughs> younger generation, I've said what's put a younger generation in debt is they've tried to have everything their parents did before they did all the things their parents did to earn them, right? So you, older people, you can say amen there. So younger people, you're trying to keep up with your parents, with the the next generation, with retirement funds, with 401ks, which aren't going to be there, by the way. You can just go ahead and mark that down as a prophecy. (laughs) Older generation, you see the younger generation rising up, and they're taking your position, and that company's hiring them for half of what they're paying you, and they don't know anything because they're just young whippersnappers. Come on, church. But we're talking about the spiritual realm here. We're talking about the kingdom. Jesus was continually about handing the keys to the kingdom to the younger generation. Probably half the disciples were teenagers. You can't even imagine. I can't imagine you give it to a bunch of Gen Xers or millennials, but teenagers. Holy cow. Jesus was constantly handing the controls over to the younger generation. When we're younger, we struggle to give up money and provisions And as we get older, we struggle to give up position and authority. At any place, 
it is probably something we think or perhaps believe cannot be replaced. Once I give this up, I can't get it back. Well, the whole message of the gospel is when you give it up, you're going to get it back 30, 60, and 100 fold. Man, we got it. Like church, our, our, our thinking's been flipped upside down by this culture. Abraham's comment on God providing meant he didn't know how God was going to provide, but he knew that he would. He knew that he would. But instead of trusting God, for, for us too, too often we say, God, if you will show me where the money is going to come from, just reveal to me the next stage of life, or show me the full vision, then God, I'm in. I've kept this note in my office for a very long time now, since the first time I heard it. It's a quote from my, my friend, Pastor Mark Fuller. Mark had this to say about how we try to exercise, exercise surrender in our life. He said, often I think I am surrendering control to God when in fact I'm trying to control my surrender. Often I think I'm surrendering control to God when in fact I'm trying to control my surrender. Oh God, I want to surrender this area to my life to you that I know I, where I can still reasonably keep control. God, you asked me to give 10000 I can give 5000 because then I still have control of some of it. Can I just, I won't too much, but I know some of you are going to struggle with this, but you'll have to learn this about me. If you came to my house and there was a new boat in the parking lot and you liked to fish, you'd be okay with me telling you all about the boat, wouldn't you? You'd be okay with that? If I got a new car and I pulled up here in the driveway and you all saw it, you'd, you'd want to talk, if you're a car guy, you'd want to ask me about the car, right? And you'd be okay with me smiling, like, man, I love this car, I love this. You'd be okay with that, right? So why, why does the enemy tell us that we're not allowed to brag about the things we do for Jesus? It's the enemy. Do you know that? We quote some scripture about the left hand shouldn't know about the right, or you shouldn't do things to be seen of men, right? We, we quote things like that, but God was saying it's because your motives are all messed up. That's why he had to preach against that. But because I'm so comfortable at this point in my life understanding that everything that Allison and I do is for the glory of God and not for the glory of ourselves, I want to make sure you understand that I'm a living, breathing example of what I want to see out of my church and what kind of people I want to see you become. Me and Allison moved down here. We, we situated all of our stuff, and we, we bought a house that cost a little bit more than when we lived in Medina, and, and we're not making more money, so we just... It, we just had to sit down and write out our budget. And I looked at our budget and I said, all right, it looks like we've got about, a, from the sale of our house and everything, we've got about an extra $10,000. That'll be good. That'll help get us for the, for, through the first few months. If things get hard, if, and don't, don't listen. I, I, I'll never cry to you, church. I'll never sympathize. I'll never do something, try to get you to come up and buy me lunch afterwards. You can always buy me lunch, but you should do that because I'm your pastor and you love me. Had nothing to do with money. I looked at all of our money. We, went, we got about $10,000 extra dollars here, a nice cushion to kind of get us started as we get situated new. And God goes, you don't need $10,000, you need me. So we wrote a check to the church for $10,000. Okay? Now, again, I know some of you are like, I can't believe you just said that. Probably if you say that way, it's probably because you don't give and you don't want to hear about it. 
I'm not saying it to show off. I'm saying it because I want to see a revival started. I want people to understand that it's not until you give everything to God and fully trust in him. And let me just encourage you, for some of you that think that's ridiculous or that's crazy or it's ill-advised, money just rolls into us from other places when we do that stuff. It really does. I don't keep track. I don't know if it's exactly $10,000, but do you know what we did last month? We paid all of our bills. You know what we're going to do this month? We're going to pay all of our bills. You know what we're going to do next month? We're going to give more money to God as much as he allows us to do so. Man, church, we're so stingy with God, and then we wonder why he's so stingy with us. Man, that was just good free stuff from the Holy Spirit this morning. You don't trust him. You don't trust him like you should. And then you wonder why he doesn't deliver like he promises. Often I think I'm surrendering control to God when in fact I'm trying to control my surrender. Here's one for us this morning. If we aren't careful, we can even become guilty of comparing our altars to others. Perhaps we even rank our sacrifices. Do you know, I've heard this is... Y'all, church, just bear with me this morning. I've heard of this new idea in the church. We've prettied it up. We've changed the name of it. We've made it so it's kind of a secret thing or that nobody will get upset about it. But not, I'm not talking about, I, I heard about it first in the Lutheran church about 20-some years ago, but I heard about it in a Wesleyan holiness church just in the last couple of weeks where the church has a dinner, a dinner for the top givers in the church. It mortified me. You should give. You should be generous. If God's blessed you, you should, you should give. But I can't think of anything more dangerous, anything that could cause people to feel more lifted up or more entitled. Man, I just, I rebuke that in the name of Jesus. I really do. Maybe we even rank our sacrifices. Can you imagine Abraham arguing with God? I, I sort of can. God, what's going on? Everyone else just has to give a lamb or a goat, but you want my son? Beyond that, we want to have what others have without being willing to do what others do. I want to preach. I just don't want to take 50 classes about people teaching me about theology and preaching and evangelism. Man, you want to preach, you don't want to show up for a life group or move a chair. Somebody say amen to that. Just preachers will. Beyond that, we, we want to have what others have without being willing to do what they'll do. God might ask someone else to do less. He might ask someone else to do more. Perhaps the greater struggle exists in the fact that we get so hung up on the sacrifice this morning that we lose sight of the provider. We get so caught up on the sacrifice that we lose, well, God, you didn't make her give that up. You didn't make him give that up. He doesn't have anything to do with the sacrifice. It has everything to do with your misplaced perception and your vision being focused on what God wants you to give up instead of being your vision being focused on the God who provides. Oh, we just listen to my imagination. I read the Bible with such a big imagination. I don't spend enough time with you people over here. How about right here? Some cameraman somewhere is going nuts. Well, Jonathan, don't go over there. The lighting's bad. <laughs> hey, I, I read the Bible with a, with a big imagination. The ram was already there. The ram was already there. 
If I really want to run away with my imagination, I believe that that ram was resting on the other side of Mount Moriah that morning. And I believe with every step that Abraham took, that the ram took too. Because he was already there, he was already stuck in the thickets, and that when you're asked to sacrifice something, God's already got the provisions in the waiting. He's already got the provisions in the waiting. I don't know what would have happened if Abraham, he had every right not to sacrifice Isaac. You have every right given by man to not sacrifice whatever it is. To, you've earned it, okay? Congratulations. Whatever it is that you have in this life in America, you've probably earned it. You've probably worked a job. You probably have a pension. You probably have built relationships. You earned it. Congratulations. But as you're all on the altar of sacrifice laid, your heart does the spirit control. If not, there will be an unrest in you. There will be something in you that says, I'm not being obedient as I should be. He didn't have to take Isaac up that mountain. Just as I was preaching, I think about my, my 11-year-old son back here running slides. I think about where Amber and Colton are with their five-week-old son. I'm sure Amber would just let any of you, she wouldn't even let any of you take him home right now for the day, right? Like, that's Amber and Colton's baby. She'll learn when, he, when she's 11. You can take Wesley home with you today, right, buddy? <laughs> he can come hang out with you for the day. But man, they're precious. Abraham did not want to give up his son. But do you know what the one thing is that he feared more than losing his son? Disobeying God. That's why he walked up that mountain that day. He walked up that mountain today because he didn't want to disappoint God. Last week we talked about the fact that we need to be more afraid of eternal failure than a temporal risk. Church, he's been faithful time and time and time again. So why do we keep questioning that he's going to deliver? When we begin to present the sacrifice, he's already provided the provisions. Does God see the same spirit in us that he saw in Abraham that day? I'm going to invite the team to come, and as they come, I, I'm just going to share a testimony I pulled really just off the internet. Actually, what happened, we're singing Do It Again uh, for a response, and before we sang this song called Do It Again, um, there was a lady named Shirley Caesar that sang a song called He'll Do It Again. Just for fun, anybody know that song, He'll Do It Again? You may not know how, you may not know where, when, but he'll do it again. It's, it's an older song, and... Uh, that song, as I was putting this sermon together, just came to my mind. So I decided to look up the song. And I looked up the song, and I found Shirley Caesar. And I began to read Shirley Caesar's story. And she's a longtime Christian singer and pastor. And she's, you know, known most for that song that she sang in the 80s. But at 83 years old, Shirley has buried her father, her invalid mother, that she cared for until her death. And all 12 of her brothers and sisters... She's still the lead pastor at her church that she's pastored for over three decades with her husband. But she's hired another pastor to run the church and do all the preaching. Her focus is now on outreach, saying she believes that God wants her to do more. Everybody say, more. Whatever you're doing right now, God wants you to do more. We sponsored 63 kids for Awana. We have... 30 signed up. We need 33 more to be brought into this church. We need people to work with them. You can do more. Listen, I, I hate to tell you, church, but when you stand before the pearly gates, when you have that interview with God, it's going to be lengthy. 
if you study the end times, if you study eternity, there's going to be a lot of things that we have to talk about when we get to heaven. Church attendance will not be one of them. Church attendance will not be one of them. Coming to church and helping lead four to 14-year-olds to Christ, you can talk about that. You can talk about how you spread the love of Jesus and invited other people to come in and hear the message. That'd be a good one. You can talk about how you worshiped him, about how you gave generously out of the surplus that you had and how you recognized that God was the one who was the provider and giver all things. You can talk about how you prayed. You can talk about how you preached. You can talk about how you loved your neighbor. Showing up's not going to cut it. He was never okay with just showing up. Daniel had to pray when he was told he, he could have went and prayed in the closet. Abraham had to walk up. By the way, there wasn't an audience for that occasion of obedience. Most of us might be okay if I had to obey God in front of people. Nobody was going to know. Nobody knew about that conversation Abraham had with God. Nobody knew about Abraham and Isaac. Nobody knew about the ram on top of the mountain. If he wouldn't have done it, there would have been billions of people that have been talking about it over the last 5,000 years, right? You never know how that next step of faithfulness might make a difference, but I can guarantee you this, it will make a difference. Moms and dads, let me get real for you this morning. You need to climb up that mountain so your children understand what this is all about. You need to walk up that mountain. They might not get it then. I don't think Isaac had a clue what was going on then. But for the rest of his life, the reason we know that story is because it got passed on. Nobody was writing it down. It was oral. Isaac told that story. He goes, my dad pulled the knife up. And then we heard whatever sound and noise a ram makes, I won't even try. Bleeding, bleeding, right? Bleating, yeah. Bleeding over there in the thickets. And he went and got that. And just like my dad said, he provided. He provided. We didn't know how, we didn't know when, but we knew he was going to do it again. Parents, your children have to see that. And they're going to keep laughing at you. They're going to keep mocking you. They're going to keep doing what you tell them not to do and not doing what you do tell them to do. But one day, they're going to remember when you climbed up that mountain. And it's going to make a difference for generation after generation after generation. I'm here today. That's right. I'm here today because my dad climbed up a mountain and my great uncle climbed up a mountain and my great grandfather climbed up a mountain. A blessing to generation after generation after generation. Church, we got to get over the small stuff. We got to get over the small stuff and recognize that faithfulness is not just showing up. Faithfulness requires stepping up. And he's asking you to take a step today. I'm sure of it. I'm sure the Holy Spirit's faithful and he's asking you to take a step today. Stand with me to your feet and I want you to respond as God has you today. Father, I pray right now that you would help someone take that next step, which I know is a step forward to this altar and say, God, I don't know how, I don't know when, but I know you're gonna do it again. God, I don't know how you're going to provide, but I'm willing to put everything on the altar before you, knowing that you were faithful then and you'll be faithful now. God, I pray that everyone in here would be willing, God, that everyone in here would be willing to speak to their doubt, to preach to their fears, that you will be faithful. Don't let us give up, God. That person that's tried a hundred times and doesn't want to try again, help them try again. If they're trying to quit, 
let today be the day. If they're trying to start, let today be the day. If, they don't, if they're getting ready to walk out on that marriage, God, I pray in the name of Jesus that you help them be stuck together, God, that you intervene in a mighty way and give them peace and rest. Lord, help them understand divorce is not the answer. Help them understand that you are the answer, that you're the light. God, that you wanna provide for them in a mighty way. Help us to claim the power that is your Holy Spirit to overcome these challenges, God, that we know are, are present in this world today. Do it again. Do it again, Jesus. Walking around these walls I thought by now they fall But you have never failed me yet Waiting for change to come Knowing the battles won, for you have never failed me yet. Your promise still stands. Great is your faithfulness.
series we're going to talk about the life of Joseph and our thought for next week is going to be God if you're still working I'm still waiting I don't know how you feel about spoiler alerts but I like to know the end of the story I like to know what's going on it helps me decide if I want to read the book sometimes So let me just give you a little preview for this week that I hope will power you through to next Sunday in preparation for this message. And all of you know the line, but it's the line that Joseph spoke at the end of the story in Genesis, at the end of Genesis. What you meant for evil, God intended for good. Fix your mind this week. Look at those things which seem evil in your life. Look at those things which seem difficult and know that God is still capable of working in and through those circumstances. If you're not dead, then he's not done. It might be with your last breath that he brings that purpose to pass. But God, if you're still if you're still working, I'll keep waiting. If you're still working, I'll keep waiting. Wait on him this week. Spend time before him. Worship him. That's how we fight our battles. Worship him. Turn off whatever other music you listen to that you justify and turn on praise and worship music. I won't tell you you're evil for listening to pop music. What I will tell you is you're missing out on blessing but not spending that time in worship. Worship him this morning, or this, this week, in spirit and in truth. Why don't you go ahead and have a seat this morning. Uh, we're going to transition the service a little bit. Hey, if you're watching us online today, we're so glad that you, you did choose to tune in. Uh, we do pray that you'll consider joining us on, at our Rathmel Road campus here very, very soon. A lot of exciting things that are going on that we want you to be a part of. But we will say goodbye to you. And uh, as we do, we'll uh, transition into a couple other things. Uh, we're going to invite our ushers to come forward to receive the morning tithes and offerings. And as they, as they make their way uh, forward... Um, and begin to collect that, that 